take your Bibles and turn to the book of John, first chapter. John 1, verses 40 through 42 is our focal passage this morning. This is the fifth and final message of the Who's Your One series, but this does not stop Who's Your One at all. Uh, this is going to be ongoing. This, you see the, the, the ping pong balls up here. You will have an opportunity again this morning during the uh, time of response to, if you don't, if you weren't here last Sunday and you have a one that you are praying that God would give you the opportunity to share the gospel with that one, then we are asking you to come and take a, a ping pong ball from the basket, one on each side, yep, and drop it in this uh, vase here on the front. It has the Who's Your One logo. These are our ones. And then over on this side, we have two others. We have one that has the Who's Your One logo, and it says shared. This is for you to move your ping pong ball when you have shared the gospel with that person. So we have a visual encouragement and reminder of our responsibility and our hope for this person. And then the third one has the Who's Your One logo, and it says on it, saved. We want to see that one as full as this one. That's where we're trying to go. That's what we're trying to do. This is our goal and purpose right here. This is encouragement. This is strategy. This is uh, visualization. But this is why we're doing what we're doing. So the, who's your one is an ongoing thing. The sermons about it will stop this morning. But we uh, won't stop as a church going after our one. John 1, 40 through 42, the title of the message is Die and Be Forgotten. Etta said this week, boy, you are choosing just some positive, positive sermon titles last couple of weeks. Last week was a story of hell. Uh, this week is Die and Be Forgotten. Well, this, this wasn't original to me. I didn't come up with the phrase. Uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Nicholas Zinzendorf. My last name is just Linton. I can't have his one as good as Zinzendorf. Um... And he, was, uh, he made this statement. Remember, you must never use your position to lord it over the heathen. Instead, you must humble yourself and earn their respect through your own quiet faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. The missionary must seek nothing for himself, no seat of honor or hope of fame. Like the cab horse in London, each of you must wear blinkers that blind you to every danger and to every snare and conceit. You must be content to suffer, to die, and to be forgotten. Now, Nicholas Zinzendorf was an 18th century, mid-1700s uh, Moravian. He, uh, he was one of the pioneers of the Protestant mission movement. And this was his encouragement to uh, his, his church, those that would be, were being sent out to the mission field, that their sole purpose was to share the gospel. And if nobody ever remembers your name, who cares? You've got one job, and your one job is to witness to your one. Now, being forgotten, though, as, as uh, he says, does not mean that you will make no impact. Uh, that, that's not a, it doesn't mean that at all. Um, it's not quite Christmas season yet, but as far as I'm concerned, after Labor Day, it's free reign on Christmas decorations, music, and movies. 
Um, we haven't watched any yet, but it's not because I don't want to. But you're likely familiar with It's a Wonderful Life. George Bailey, in that movie, learned that um, being forgotten or being small in your own eyes doesn't mean that you have made no impact. And this clip shows you where he learned that, when he finally got that through his skull. Go ahead, Carol. Is it working? You can go ahead and go back now, Carol. You can end it. This part's not as important. I couldn't find a clip short enough for, for what I needed. There we go. So, George Bailey learned that his impact was much broader than he had imagined. He thought he was a nothing, nobody, no account, didn't matter. As a matter of fact, been better off at the time he was thinking as he wanted to commit suicide, he'd be better off dead but was really thinking it had been better off if he had never been born at all. And then we see the impact. Well, the Bible is just chock full of those people that had a huge impact, uh, but little fanfare. Andrew, who is Simon Peter's brother, was one of those fellas that had huge impact, but little fanfare. Now, Andrew is mentioned in the Gospels and Acts 12 times. His name is mentioned 12 times, but four of those times, it's just in list of the disciples, uh, three of the Gospels and Acts, it's just in a list. There are five distinct stories that are about him, or that include him. Um, one of them is in both Matthew and Mark, uh, a second one is in Mark, and there are three stories about him in John. Now, what we learn about uh, Andrew in the book of Mark is that he was on the edge of the inner circle. We always hear about Peter, James, and John. In one story, we hear about Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And we hear that he was part of that, uh, close to that inner circle. The other thing we know about Andrew is that he was the first disciple that was called. He was the first disciple that realized what was going on uh, and, and chose to follow Jesus. Uh, in John, we have that story later on. Uh, after this, when it tells us that when John was the Baptist was in prison, is when Jesus went down by the seaside and he called Simon and Andrew 
James and John from their fishing boats and said, now it's time to follow me. But the first disciple to respond to who Jesus was, was Andrew, who had formerly been a disciple of John the Baptist. So we have this story, and we're actually just going to look at a couple of verses of it. Chapter 1 of John, verses 40 through 42. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him, John the Baptist at this point. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And we're going to stop there this morning, the, the first part of 42. Andrew gets very little written about him. And yet, Andrew is vital to Christianity. He is vital to the existence even of portions of our New Testament. But I'm going to get ahead of myself. I need to be careful. Let's first look at three aspects of Andrew's character, who he was. First aspect of Andrew is he saw the value of individual people. We're going to see that here. We're going to see this later on in the story of John, uh, or in John also. John 141 says, he first found his own brother. Andrew first found his own brother. Like I said, he was, he was a, a disciple of, the John, of John the Baptist. He had been following him. I'm sure he had been telling Simon, hey, man, John the Baptist, he's got some good stuff. Probably Simon was a follower as well, uh, maybe from a little more of a distance than Andrew was. And when he was with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist saw Jesus, it appears that uh, very likely Andrew was there um, when Jesus got baptized, saw all this stuff happen, and, go, and hears John the Baptist say, I'm not important. Here's the important one. I'm paraphrasing. He said, Here is the one, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. That was John the Baptist's testimony. Andrew hears that and goes, all right, here's who I've been looking for. So he's got all the, the truth of who Jesus is now, or at least the beginnings of the truth. He certainly doesn't have all of it yet, but he is understanding some things now. He knows who Jesus is, and his first response, I now have seen Jesus. I now know the Messiah. I have got to go tell my brother. I have got to go tell Simon. At that moment, in this uh, in this situation, in, in, the, in, the, in the flow of the narrative, Simon was Andrew's one. Andrew was thinking, not maybe who's my one, but he was thinking, I know the one I've got to tell. I have got news right now that is too good to keep to myself. I have got to go and tell my one. And he does. He goes off and he tells Simon, he finds him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him. Now, who does Simon become? Well, he becomes Peter, Simon Peter. Jesus gives him this nickname of, of rock. But more broadly, we, we've just gone through, just gone through in the last couple of years, we've been going through Acts, and we have seen all that Peter did in the early church. He was one of the, if not the, leader for much of the time of the early church, the church in Jerusalem. He was a, a writer 
of two of our letters in the New Testament, First and Second Peter. He is the first disciple, the first missionary to take the gospel to Gentiles, to true Gentiles, not uh, converts uh, from a different ethnicity to Judaism, but to true Gentiles. Uh, he was the first one of those, and this guy does these things, Peter does these things, because he was Andrew's one. All of this is a direct result of Andrew's ministry. Andrew went after his one. When he knew the truth, he went and told his one. Later on in uh, uh, the Gospel of John, in chapter 12, 22, there are some Greeks that they want to hear. They, they have heard about Jesus, and they want to meet him. They, we would see Jesus, they said. If uh, you've ever been to, I believe it is, First Baptist Jacksonville, Florida, um, the uh, communion table there does not say, if I remember correctly, does not say in remembrance of me. I've never even noticed. Does I have anything on it? It says in remembrance of me? Okay, that's most Baptist churches, uh, and, and that's great, and, and that for the communion table, that's a great phrase. In First Baptist Jacksonville, what it says on the front is, we would see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. It, it's a reminder to the church of why we exist. We should be telling about people about Jesus. And these Greeks wanted to see Jesus, and they come first to Philip. Philip was a pretty, pretty healthy evangelist uh, in his own right as well. Philip was probably the, the second to, to follow, the second named one to really get it, the one that uh, Jesus called out to. They come to Philip, and Philip takes them not to Jesus, but to Andrew. And Andrew takes them to Jesus. Andrew was known for taking people to Jesus. He was intent on taking people to Jesus. We would say, could say that Andrew, uh, in, in being intent on taking people to Jesus, he was an inviter, he was a bringer, and he was an introducer. Andrew didn't drop Peter off at Jesus' house and come back an hour later to pick him up. He took Simon, he took Peter to Jesus. Andrew didn't plan an event and hope that Peter would come and meet Jesus. He went and got Peter and said, let me take you to meet the Messiah. Took him by, as my daddy would say, took him by his hot little hand and led him to see Peter. He didn't leave it up to chance or a possibility or uh, leave it at Peter's feet or plan something and say, well, I hope they come. They know where Jesus is. If they want to meet Jesus, they can come meet him. He went and got him. Folks, First Baptist Sulphur, Michael, we have to find our one and take him or her to Jesus. First message I preached in this series, I gave you some, some statistics. Let me remind you of one. If you have an empty seat next to you, Look at it, because 96% of the people who will ever fill that seat will come because someone invited them. Only 4% of anybody who ever comes to our church 
will just randomly come. We'll say, hmm, I'm looking for a church to go to today. Let me try out First Baptist Sulphur. It happens, but that is not the majority of people who come to our church. The majority, 96% statistically, will only come because somebody invited them. What can happen if we are faithful to our one? How many of you know, let's see, is Andy here? Nope, okay. So my resident historian is gone. Maybe I'll stump you. Uh, how many of you know who Edward Kimball is? I'll even give you a few seconds to think. Edward Kimball. Not surprised. I didn't. I'd heard of him. I couldn't remember his name. And you may think, oh, yeah, I know this story. Edward Kimball is a Sunday school teacher in the uh, mid-1800s who's worried and fretted and, and, and struggled over sharing the gospel with this late teenager, early 20s kid, guy, who had been coming to Sunday school, but obviously was not really converted. And he knew God was telling him to go and share the gospel with this person, and he didn't really want to. And he knew on this particular day, he was telling him to go to the shoe store where this guy worked, and share the gospel with him. And he was coming up with all kinds of excuses of why he shouldn't. He, I'm going to embarrass him. It's going to be in front of all of his employees. And they're going to mock him for needing the gospel. Oh, you've got to have a Sunday school teacher. I mean, he was all these reasons why. But he knew he was supposed to go. So he went anyway. And lo and behold, found the fella back kind of in the warehouse area of the shoe store. All by himself. And was able to present the gospel and he says later on, I don't even know what I said. He said, I, it, was, it was horrible as far as any sort of gospel presentation. Uh, like, you need Jesus kind of thing. You know, um, it, was, it, was not, uh, it wasn't three circles. It wasn't faith. It wasn't evangelism explosion. It wasn't all of our great outlined ways of sharing the gospel. It was, it was bad. And D.L. Moody got saved from it. And D.L. Moody goes on to be a pretty effective evangelist in his own right. As a matter of fact, there's a, a direct line from D.L. Moody uh, to Mordecai Ham. Raise your hand if you know who Mordecai Ham is. Okay. Mordecai Ham was a, uh, I believe, uh, a Presbyterian evangelist in the early 1900s that was preaching a revival uh, in North Carolina and this teenager by the name of Billy Graham got saved. Because Edward Kimball, a nervous Sunday school teacher, witnessed to D.L. Moody, a Presbyterian evangelist that none of us have heard of, shared a revival message, and Billy Graham got saved. So two people you've never heard of, if they had not gone to their one, and in Mordecai Ham's case it wasn't exactly a one, but he was going where he was supposed to go. If, if, if they had not done what they were supposed to do, someone you've never heard of had not gone uh, to, to who they were supposed to, you'd have never heard of Billy Graham. You would have never heard of D.L. Moody. You know the name Charles Spurgeon. Most of you do. A Baptist preacher in London uh, in the late 1800s called the Prince of, of Preachers. He got saved as a, a young teenager 
horrible snowstorm, he went to a Methodist church, and the, the pastor of that church couldn't even make it, the snowstorm was so bad, so uh, it was about, I think they, it, the history books tell us, 10, 12 people there that day, and a, a deacon, I believe, got up, and he wasn't a preacher, he wasn't expecting to have to say anything, so he opened up his Bible, and he uh, went to a verse that says, look unto Jesus, and you will be saved, and he looked at Charles Spurgeon sitting in the chair in the church and said, young man, look to Jesus and be saved. And Charles Spurgeon responded when he said it. Andrew was intent on his one. He was intent on the individual. He was intent on taking people to Jesus. As a matter of fact, the next uh, point is also about Andrew taking someone to Jesus. Number two, Andrew saw the value of insignificant gifts. If you want to turn to the passage, turn a couple of pages to John 6, verse 9. It's a story we are somewhat familiar with, the feeding of the 5,000. And what you may not have realized or what may not have clicked for you over the years as you heard it, it is Andrew that brings the boy to Jesus. They're all wondering, what are we going to do? Philip, part of the story again, a little bit of a skeptic here, no, no, a lot of a skeptic here, says, how are we going to feed all these people? And Andrew goes and finds a young boy and says, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? See, Andrew, still the bringer, brings the boy to Jesus, but he didn't expect much. He, he, he wonders, I think maybe, though he, he has the question, what are they, what, these five loaves and two fish, what are they for so many? Maybe, maybe Andrew was thinking, but this is Jesus, y'all. Let me see, let me lob this one up for him. See if he knocks this out of the park. Maybe, maybe there's some part of him that had some faith, had, had an idea. He, he's struggling with it. He doesn't know how it's going to work, but he brings him to Jesus anyway. Don't miss that. I don't know what the result will be of what I'm doing here, but I'm going to bring him to Jesus anyway. Maybe your response to your one is, I have no idea if this person is ever going to soften their hearts enough to, ask, uh, to accept Christ. Bring him to Jesus anyway. You don't know what God can do in that person. See, I think Andrew deep down knew that even the what are they, what are they for so many, even the what are they are powerful in the hands of Jesus. Maybe your thought isn't so much can Jesus do that with them, can Jesus save my one? Maybe your thought is, how in the world do I share Jesus with my one? How do I, how do I have the words? How do I have the courage? How do I have the, 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 the gumption to do it? You may think you're a what are they. 
you may be thinking, what am I that I would share the gospel with somebody? You may think you're a what are they, but you are powerful in the hand of Jesus. And remember, it's not you. You're not bringing somebody to you. You're bringing someone to Jesus. It's not your words. It's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. It is those words. It is that testimony from Scripture of what Jesus did. It's not your eloquence. It's not your uh, situational timing. It's not any of those things. It's not even really your relationship with the person. I've told you before, I, I especially struggle with presenting the gospel to someone I do not know and have never met, and it's a, it's a five-minute interaction that's never going to happen again. And I'm thinking, how in the world... Uh, do I share the gospel with this person? I have no idea where they are spiritually. Exactly. I have no idea where they are spiritually. I've read testimony after testimony after testimony of someone presenting the gospel in a closed, quick situation with someone they know they will probably never meet again, though social media has uh, stopped that for us. And they present the gospel and find out that that person has just gone through a situation where they are now questioning the meaning of life, the purpose of their living. Or they have been going to church for a few weeks or a few months and they've heard the message and they haven't really been able to, to uh, cement the message in their minds. And it is that gospel presentation that finally does it for them. Paul understood that. He said, some plant... Some water, but God gives the increase. It may be my responsibility to plant that first gospel seed that 10 years from now sprouts into salvation for that person. It might be my responsibility to pluck the fruit of salvation from this vine that has already grown in their lives. Or maybe I'm somewhere in between. Maybe it's just me helping them along that path to understanding salvation. Regardless, it does not matter what I think about me. It doesn't matter that I would ask myself, uh, ask of myself, what are they? What matters is that I ask, who are you, Jesus? And the answer is always, he is powerful to save and powerful to be faithful to us that are faithful to them, to him. We might ask the question of this feeding of the 5,000. How would Andrew's approach have been different if he had known for a certainty what Jesus would have done? Would he have brought this boy and said, this kid's got five loaves, two fish. But what are they? Or, Jesus, I got the answer. He's got five loaves and two fish. Do your magic. Maybe he didn't call it magic. I'm not, not, not being sacrilegious here. Just write it down and fuss about it later. Do it. Do your work. Do, do what you do. with. Uh, you go, watch him. Watch him. This is going to be great. It, it would have changed his entire approach. It would have changed his, his response, his, his, his attitude in bringing this person to Jesus but it does not matter what he knew. It doesn't matter if he knew that was going to be the response or not. It doesn't matter if he knew that was going to be the reaction or not. He had a responsibility to bring his one to Jesus. See, you don't know how your one may be used by God. 
You don't know. See, Moody is directly responsible for estimates say one million converts. It's estimated that he spoke to about a hundred million people over his ministry. Billy Graham is thought to have been heard by 2.2 billion people worldwide with 2.2 million people coming to Christ just as a result of his crusade. That's not even counting all the different parts of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. So we've got a good 3 million, it's probably pushing 5 or 6 million people converted to Christ. Why? Edward Kimball, an unknown Sunday school teacher. See, that's in his crown. He never saw that. I, I don't know how old he was when Moody started his uh, uh, evangelistic efforts. I don't know what he saw later on in life, how long he lived after that or anything. He certainly didn't see Billy Graham. And yet, all of those souls that will now spend eternity in heaven can trace their spiritual lineage and their reason for salvation back to an unknown, nervous, trying to talk himself out of sharing the gospel, Edward Kimball. You never know that deacon who couldn't preach in Spurgeon's church Because he pointed at that teenager and said, young man, look to Jesus and be saved. Spurgeon became a megachurch pastor long before there were megachurches. In the 1800s, he preached over 6,000 people every Sunday. And as I said, is widely considered the prince of preachers. One of the most effective orators of God's word that has ever lived. You don't know how your one may be used. And it does not matter. It doesn't matter that you don't know. It doesn't matter that your one may never preach to millions and, or billions and have millions come to Christ because of them. It doesn't matter that your one may never be the prince of preachers. What matters is that you witness to your one for who they are. Who are they? A special creation made in the image of God whom he loves enough to send his son to die for them on the cross. That's who they are. And that is all that matters. It, our one, our uh, intentionality in sharing the gospel with our one is not based on what we think they may do or be. It's not based on what, how much we value their potential in life. It might change our attitude. You think Edward Kimball would have been a little more excited to share the gospel if he had known how many people would come to Christ because of D.L. Moody and then on down the line through Mordecai Ham, through Billy Graham? You think that would have calmed some of his nerves? Made him a little more energetic about going into that shoe store and witnessing to that 20-year-old? Yes, but that didn't matter. He shared because Dwight Moody, 20-year-old shoe salesman, mattered to God. And 
Edward Kimball did not want Dwight Moody to spend an eternity in hell that we talked about last week. You never bring anyone who is insignificant to Jesus. And I can say this another way. There is no one insignificant who dies and goes to hell. Every person that dies and goes to hell because of a lack of salvation through Jesus Christ is someone who bore the image of God and for whom Jesus died. So they're all significant. They're all important, regardless of what their future may hold. Third aspect of, of Andrew's life is he saw the value of inconspicuous service. Go back to uh, chapter 1, verse 40. Notice how it introduces him. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. If you, you just read through that and, and, and don't sit on it for a second, you miss the significance of this. John had to introduce Andrew to his readers. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. It, it, it's pretty clear that everybody knew who Peter was. Everybody that John was writing to knew who Peter was. So he didn't have to introduce Simon Peter. Like, oh yeah, we remember Peter. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and they're like, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. Oh, no, I never heard of him. Oh, wait, that's, oh, he was one of the twelve, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, Andrew, got it. Simon, oh, yeah, 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 I remember hearing that story about him that time. I mean, that, that's the response that he was probably expecting from his readers. He had to introduce this guy to his readers. Now, John, the, the Gospel of John was written sometime in uh, the 80s, maybe 82 A.D., Andrew, according, uh, was probably already dead at this point. According to tradition, he had um, been a missionary, and, and uh, he wasn't widely known, and very likely died around, tradition tells us, in the early 60s A.D. So by the time John's gospel came out and got out to the churches, he was, had, uh, Andrew had probably been dead for 20 years. And John has to introduce him. Peter, though, you think they knew who Peter was? Well, John, Simon Peter's brother, by the 80s, Peter was known all over Israel. He had started, or been very, uh, the leader, he was the first preacher, the first gospel preacher of the church. Acts chapter 1, and, and the sermon uh, the, uh, at Pentecost. The first, God, or Acts chapter 2, the, the first uh, Christian church sermon Peter preached. Thousands came to Jesus. Paul was known all over the Roman Empire, especially by the churches. Remember, this is being written to church people, primarily. Let me tell you about the Jesus that y'all worship. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, they knew Peter, they knew Paul, they did not know Andrew. And yet, Andrew was vital to the kingdom. Vital to the kingdom's work. Andrew had 
qualities that made him memorable and important to the kingdom without any major notoriety. I mean, it would be like me writing a, a biography of, of my spiritual journey and telling you about William F. Pete Evans, whom none of you have heard of. How many of you know, of you know who P Pete Evans is? Exactly. He was the pastor of State Boulevard Baptist Church in Meridian, Mississippi, where I got saved and baptized. He was the beginning of my, uh, he, he, he is my earliest preacher memory. We started going there when I was, I don't know, second grade maybe, something like that. Maybe earlier, maybe first grade. He, he's my earliest pastoral memory. He, he, I, I, don't, I could not tell you a sermon he preached. I couldn't even tell you how he preached. I couldn't tell you his theology. I couldn't tell you if he was a liberal Baptist or a conservative Baptist. I know he went to Southern Seminary in the 60s and 70s, which does not bode well, uh, considering what they were going through at the time. I could not tell you a thing about him, but I can tell you what it's like to sit in his office when you're 10 years old and have him share the gospel with you using a little plastic glove that had the colors of red for sin and green. And, you know, the, 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 we do the bracelets sometimes, and we do the wordless book when we go to uh, countries where they speak a foreign language. And you, you have these, I remember that, I know that uh, moment with him. I know accepting Christ. I know being baptized by him and the water being in that, bab in that baptistry being so dadgum hot. I know that about William F. Evans, but y'all don't know Brother Pete. That was, that was his nickname, Pete. Y'all don't know him. So, so his, his work does not matter to you except that it got me here. And I know some of y'all thinking, oh, so it's his fault. But I ignore you people that say that, so it's fine with me. Pete was vital to the kingdom. Andrew was vital to the kingdom. Brother Pete never started, a, I don't know if he started a church, he never founded a major ministry, he never founded a, 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 a started a, a major movement in Christianity. He was important, important in my spiritual walk. Andrew, we don't have any letters from Andrew. Uh, we don't have a recording of any world-changing sermons from Andrew. Tradition has him uh, going on mission into Russia, but then coming back and being martyred uh, in Greece sometimes in the early 60s. But he brought his brother to Jesus. And without Peter, maybe the tr Jerusalem church doesn't buy into evangelizing Gentiles. It was Peter that went and said, hey, I had this vision and I went to Cornelius and we are supposed to go to Gentiles. Without Peter, maybe the Jerusalem church doesn't buy into that. Maybe Paul's uh, ministry fizzles without the support of the Jerusalem church. Maybe the, the era, the, the work of the church in general is drastically changed altered, maybe even hindered, if Andrew doesn't go to his one. Now, for you Calvinists in here, and, and you're thinking, oh, God's sovereignty is greater than that, it might be, but we don't know that. We don't know what God would have done. All we know is what God did. And I ain't mad at you Calvinists or anything. I like God's sovereignty too. But we can't bank on anything other than Andrew was faithful to his one, and his one 
integral in reaching the world for Jesus. Like I said at the beginning, this is the end of the Who's Your One sermons, but this is not the end of Who's Your One. Some things to take away from this. Die and be forgotten. Your one is not about you. Chances are, chances are, you won't be remembered as the Sunday school teacher that brought the next D.L. Moody or the deacon that brought the next Charles Spurgeon or the uh, evangelist that brought the next Billy Graham to Jesus. Chances are you won't be that person because your one is not about you, but let's be real, real honest here. Your one isn't really even about your one. Yes, we are called to share the gospel with people who are lost, and, and the salvation is for that person, and, and God loves that person and wants to save that person. But we are faithful to witness to our one because of the kingdom of God, because of our place and our role in the kingdom of God. Our one is about God's kingdom. That's what it's about. Our obedience is about God's kingdom, his plan, his design, which is to reach all the ones through his people. That's what it's about. God loves your one. You obviously love your one. But it's about much more even than you or your one. So in reaching your one, use these invite cards that are on the Connection Center. To share with people. Inviting is a step. It's not the best step. It's not the final step. But it is a step. Invite them. But bring them to Jesus. Introduce them. Share the gospel with them. Introduce them to Jesus. Use three circles. Use a meal at your house. Use a football game that y'all bond over. But whatever it is that you do. However you go about reaching year one this morning you need to wake up to the idea that you share the gospel you die and be forgotten do it for the kingdom of god do it out of obedience do it out of love for the father do it out of response out of obedience to god's design God's plan. God's design is perfect. God's design has always been to have a people. And it began with Adam and Eve, but sin ruined God's design. Sin always ruins God's design. When we depart from God's design, that is sin. And sin leads to brokenness. Your one is suffering from brokenness today. Your one is hurting. Your one will may, never, may, uh, may never tell you that they are hurting. Your one may never say, boy, I really wish there was something that would fix the pain in my soul. They are hurting. And maybe they are experiencing their spiritual brokenness in more physical ways, more emotional ways, more psychological ways, but yet they still know brokenness and they are looking for answers they may be all perfect on the outside but they are looking for ways to fix their brokenness and they will never find that fix outside of jesus outside of the gospel the gospel that says jesus died for their sins 
was buried and rose on the third day. He took the punishment and he took the sins and then he proved his power over that. Michael, I can't share the gospel that way. Okay, look to Jesus and be saved. And Charles Spurgeon gets saved. You need Jesus in your life. And D.L. Moody gets saved. It's not the words. It's not the deliverer. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work. Tell them they need to repent and believe the gospel and then they will be saved and they can begin to recover and pursue God's design and you may have on your hands the next D.L. Moody, the next Billy Graham, the next Charles Spurgeon or you might just have the pastor that tells the gospel to a 10-year-old who gets saved and no movements, no, 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 no fanciness, just, just faithful. Share the gospel, die, be forgotten. That's okay. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you work in our lives, that you show us people like Andrew who, without a few mentions, we would never know his name. That we, like Andrew, if we are faithful to bring our one, to introduce our one to Jesus, It may, be result in it may result in thousands being fed. It may result in millions coming to faith. It may just result in us being faithful to introduce our one to Jesus like you said. Lord, the hardest part, I think, of sharing the gospel with our one is that they might not accept it. And that may be a reality. Uh, that, that may be something we experience, God. But we must be faithful because it's about your kingdom. It's about our obedience in your kingdom more than it's about anything else. It is about your love for the lost. It is about your love for the saved. It, it is, but it's more about us doing what you have commanded us to do, bringing you glory and being faithful to your cause and call. So, Lord, thank you for Andrew. Thank you for Edward Kimball. Thank you for Mordecai Ham. Thank you for Pete Evans. And the faithfulness of them to bring their one to Jesus. Lord, may the one this morning here who's never trusted you as Savior hear the gospel message and respond. And, I, and if they came because somebody invited them, God, that's just you confirming what you're going to do, and what you want to do. And we thank you for that. Move on hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how should you respond today? Maybe you need to accept Christ. Maybe you'd like to pray with me or Tom about that and how that could go about. Maybe you need to pray for your one. Maybe you need to pray for you so you have the words to say to your one. Whatever it is, whatever God is working on you this morning about, let him do it. Quit fighting. Quit being prideful. Quit saying, no, that's not right. No, I don't care what you say here. No, I want to do it my own way. No, I've got this. No, 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 no. Listen to the Lord and be obedient this morning as we stand and as we sing and you do business with him today.